need to listen to what people are saying to you and truly understand them. There's no reason to yell. That just shows, you know, that you can't handle stressful situations and that you handle things under emotion. Welcome to the Triple P Podcast, premier, professional, and proactive, brought to you by the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association. I'm your host, Clayton O'Brien, and I'm the fire chief from the city of Napoleon, and I'm an active member of the association. I currently sit on the executive board for the Ohio Fire Chiefs Foundation, and I became an association fellow in 2021 as part of class number 10. The Ohio Fire Chiefs Association exists to improve the safety of Ohio by leading, representing, educating, and supporting Ohio emergency services. This podcast is not only for the members of the association, but also for any other fire and emergency service leaders. It is the purpose of the association to promote education, best practices, and study ways and means to cope with the ever-increasing need for a better understanding of the complex problems which are being presented to the fire protection and emergency services of our nation today. I'm joined by my co-host and my assistant chief, Joel Fry. Thanks, Clayton. Hello, I'm Joel Fry, Assistant Fire Chief for Napoleon Fire and Rescue. I am a current member of the OFCA, and I currently sit on the Education Committee. I am happy to be here, striving to advance the fire service as a whole. This is part two of the Officer's Guide to Managing Criticism by Chief Steve Agenbrook. Well, that's I, I do appreciate that, and you're right. This would be a good good segue to move into uh, part three of your class, which you really talk about the sturdy dozen, which are the twelve rules of of how you're going to manage the the criticism and and how you move forward or handle all these different types of individuals within your organization. Yeah, and rule one, it's, it's similar going back to the dirty dozen, where the number one is the backstabber, and you got to be cognizant that you're in a, in a danger zone. Well, rule one with the sturdy dozen is uh, you can't tolerate disrespect. Uh, if you're an officer and you're in your organization and someone disrespects you, is it's it's not acceptable, and it must be dealt with, and it must be dealt with seriously. It is possible to be liked and respected. Respect leads to admiration. Admiration leads to modeling. Modeling leads to lasting change. Whether they like you or not is immaterial. Whether they respect you or not is non-negotiable. That's the first picture on the slide, and that is it. That being respected as an officer is non-negotiable. You certainly want to be liked and respected because it's a lot easier to respect somebody that you like. But I've worked for officers that I've really liked that are nice people, but I didn't have any respect for them. And it showed. They didn't push their companies. They didn't drive people to be better. They didn't drive people to train. And you, you can't do that. That's just not not in the fire service. You can't do it. This, again, this job's too important. The other slide I have up here, it says, I can take a joke. I can't take disrespect. Learn the difference. Because you do see a lot of people, we talked about that tester earlier, you know, is they'll try to hide disrespect in a joke and trying to be ha-ha funny. Or when you call somebody on it, they'll be like, oh, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. Well, that's their problem, not yours. They need to learn the difference between a joke and being disrespectful. And when they cross the line, specifically if it's in front of other people, you have to call them on it immediately. And you have to let them know that that, that behavior is unacceptable and will not be tolerated. Yeah, because if you don't, then it's just going to be showing everybody else that it is tolerated and that it was allowed right there in that situation. Right, which leads to rule number two, uh, which is control your emotions. And again, you respond to that if, if they're disrespectful you respond to that but you respond to it in a very calm manner you don't have to yell you don't have to scream you don't have to bow up you don't have to slam your fist on the table and tell them that you're the boss 
You just have to let them know that that behavior is, is not tolerable. And if they continue to do it, then that's why you have a progressive disciplinary process. You know, it's just business. And I will treat you like a professional, even if you're not treating me like one. And basically, we'll follow the progressive disciplinary process, and either your behavior is going to change or you're not going to work here anymore. One of the two things. One of the two so, things. Yeah, so control your emotions. And I've got a slide up here of Bruce Lee, who's a, who's been an idol of mine for as long as I can remember. I've studied martial arts most of my life. And he says, you will continue to suffer if you have any emotional reaction to everything that is said to you. True power is sitting back and observing everything with logic. If words control you, that means everyone else can control you. Breathe and allow things to pass. And that's really it, you know. And and the the key that I tell people in the class is, I ask the question is, have you ever heard anybody say when you're mad, count to 10? And most people have. But when I ask them, do you know why people say that? Most people don't. And ultimately, that trick works and it works if you do it correctly. And the reason for it is your brain is made up of two hemispheres. One is really driven by logic. The other one is driven by emotion. And when you get mad, the emotional side of your brain kicks into overdrive and the logical side of your brain kicks down and it's not as engaged. So you're allowing your emotions to get the best of you. We've heard that phrase. And then you start to say things that you wish you didn't say when you start thinking about it later. So the reason counting to 10 works is you stop doing what you're doing. You take a deep breath and you count to one. You take another deep breath, you count to two. What that does is that disengages the emotional side of your brain. And by counting and using numbers, it re-engages the logical side of your brain. So it allows you to take and address things more logically. So if you feel yourself getting really mad, understand that a bad choice can't be undone. You know, trust is like a piece of paper. And if you break that trust and you wrinkle up that piece of paper and then you flatten it back out, yeah, it's flat again, but it's still wrinkled and you can't do anything about it. And that trust will never, ever be the same. So a piece of advice that I like to give to people is when you're mad, never, ever do anything that makes you feel better. And a great mentor of mine gave me that piece of advice years ago, and I think about him all the time, and it's so true. So if you catch yourself getting angry, unless you absolutely are in a situation that is illegal, unethical, or unsafe, disconnect from the situation, let yourself calm down and come back and re-engage and then handle it from a logical perspective, not an emotional one. So number three, this is again, this is very simple and easy and won't take a long time to go over, but it's so important, and that is Never underestimate just how much stuff you can fix around a firehouse with just an, an example of a good attitude. Have a positive attitude. And then the rule number three is attitude is everything. And it really is. If you come into the day and you tack it with a positive attitude, it, it's it's fantastic. For anyone who wants to learn more about this, an author named Ryan Holiday wrote a book called The Obstacle is the Way. And it's a it's a very easy read. And it's 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 a lot about there's a lot of philosophy in it, but it really talks about how you control yourself and control your attitude. It's very, very important. And when I go back and think of my earlier days when I was on the top of Mount Stupid, I got in a little bit of trouble, kind of piped off and did some things that I shouldn't have done. And I got in a little bit of trouble. And through some trainings that I got sent to, I, I learned about this attitude and how important it is. And I came across this little attitude statement and I share it in the, in the class and it's very simple. So attitude is more important than anything. Attitude can make or break you. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. 
the only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I believe that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with me, I am in charge of my attitude. And when I came across this, you talked earlier about like when I changed from Mount Stupid to the Valley of Despair, this was all kind of that same time. And when I realized that I don't need to be a jerk and I don't need to have a bad attitude and I don't need to to just be that person that no one wants to be around, that I can just choose to be happy and have a good attitude and attack every day in a positive manner. That was like a light switch moment for me. And I just, life got so much better. And that's one of the main points that I try to make in this training is if you catch yourself being negative or if you catch yourself being that one of those critics that we described earlier, that's up to you. You can change it. You ultimately are in charge of your attitude. And if somebody wants to try to control you and, and bring you down or take shots at you, you can't control them but you can control how you respond to it. And if ultimately, if you let them get to you, they win. And what I found too, is if you respond, so most of those times, those employees, those negative employees, they're trying to gain some followers. So, and usually when they're the young individuals in the firehouse, they're, they're kind of, those are the employees that get those young ones right away. Right. And they can get these individuals to follow them, but yet the negativity will only keep them around for so long because then they find themselves in that spot of like, well, I, everybody says I work in the best job of the world, but why do I feel like this all the time? Like I'm surrounded by drama or everything's got to be a problem or, and there's never any sort of solution. And, um, and that happened early on in my career too. Uh, you did have these individuals that when somebody wants you, they bring you around and it's all negative. And, um, the exact same thing and why I'm so passionate about attitude is because I do think we work in the best job in the world. And I just, love my job and just so passionate about what we do. And if you, once you have that mindset, that positive mindset, and then when those negative people try to come around you and you spin everything that they say into a positive way, they begin to go away or they begin to not come to you and talk to you about it to try to rain on your parade uh, because they know that now they can no longer have that impact on you to be able to gain you as, you know, a follower of their negativity in the firehouse. Absolutely. Which leads us into rule number four. And this is a super simple, easy one to do, but again, very important is just understand it's unavoidable. There's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing and be nothing. And if you're going to be a fire officer, you can't do nothing. You have to put yourself out there. You have to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And you just got to be a leader if you're going to be any good at your job. And understand when you lead people and you make people do things that they don't necessarily want to do, they're going to criticize you. The high, and, and the higher up the ladder you go, the more your butt shows. And just understand that. And people are going to take pot shots at it. So just it is what it is. And you just, you know, if, if you want to create and you want to be a leader, this is a consequence. It's that simple. No participation ribbons here. No participation ribbons. Absolutely. And then moving to rule number five is don't obsess over what others think. And it kind of goes back to a lot of what we talked about with the dirty dozen. And the, a lot of that is what people think. And you just can't obsess over that. And the first slide that I have is one of the greatest prisons people live in is the fear of what other people think. And you just can't 
worry about that. I mean, it's it's and it's easier said than done. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier about wanting to be part of a tribe. And and if, if other people think that you're terrible, they could cast you out from the tribe and it could end up in your death. Well, you're not there anymore. If you're at the firehouse and you make somebody do something they don't want to do, well, they're going to get over it. And if they don't get over it, that's a that's a them problem, not a you problem, because the things that you tell them to do, they get a paycheck every two weeks to do it. And that's just what it comes down to. And there it's the reason why, you know, we call it a job and why you make money. Not everything we do is great. Sometimes you just have to do things you don't want to. And then the second slide that I have up here is a, a quote. And this is one of my absolute favorite quotes in this whole presentation. And it says, some of the best advice I've been given. Don't take criticism from people you would never go to for advice. And I remember when I read that the first time, it really hit me like a brick in the head. It was like, whoa, it's true. If somebody's criticizing what it is that you're doing, but it's not somebody that you would go to for advice, why do you care? Who cares? That reflects more on them than it does you. So, you know, you're 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 doing great things. You're moving on. You're attacking the world. You're making a difference. You're doing it. They're not the heck with them. Which brings us to rule number six, learn when to walk away. In life, it's important to know when to stop arguing with people and simply let them be wrong. And that kind of goes back to that cognitive dissonance we talked about earlier. No matter what you do, they're not going to listen to you and they're gonna stay wrong. And you're basically, we talked about time being a finite resource. Don't waste your time on them. And then, the next two kind of go in line is, a, is one is a quote from Mark Twain, and it says, never, never argue with a fool. Onlookers may not be able to tell the difference. And that goes back to that young audience at the firehouse. If that senior firefighter is getting your attention and they're getting you to argue with them and debate with them, and then they're, you know the conversations that that firefighter is having about you when you're not in the room. Ha ha, did you see me get under their skin? Did you see me do this? And they're like, oh, yeah, you're the greatest person ever. So you can't do that. And then the last, and this might be my favorite slide in the entire uh, presentation, and it says, arguing with idiots is like playing chess with a pigeon. No matter how good you are, the bird is going to shit on the board and strut around like they want anyway. <laughs> it's so true, ain't it? <laughs> and it is. And that's some, that are, sometimes just arguing with people, is it's just nothing more than a waste of your time. And we don't have a lot of time. At least I know myself as a fire chief, I don't have a lot of time. And I have to maximize every time I have. And I shouldn't waste any of my time arguing with idiots. I just need to learn when to walk away. Rule number six. And then rule number seven is people will always have something to say. And the slide up here, it's a cartoon. And it's got a husband and a wife. And the first one says, and they're, they're both riding the donkey. And there's two critics off to the side that say, Two people on a donkey's back, poor animal. The second part has the husband on the donkey and the wife standing to the side walking and the critics are saying, how cruel is he by letting his wife walk? The third one is the husband's walking and the wife's riding and the critics are saying how stupid he is by letting his wife take the ride alone. And then the last one is the husband and wife are walking and it says, fools don't even know how to utilize a donkey. And that's just ultimately the point of that cartoon is no matter what you do, is people are going to have something to say. They're just going to criticize whatever it is that you do. So the most important thing, as long as you know in your heart of hearts that you're doing the right thing, then you're doing the right thing. And don't worry about what they're saying. Now, the way that you learn that moves us right to rule number eight, which is 
establish your guiding principles. And that's something that you just have to develop internally. And everybody's guiding principles are different because everyone is different. And you just through the course of your life and your career have to decide what it is that's important to you and what are your true internal core values. And understand that you know, do what you feel in your heart to be right and you'll be criticized anyway. That's an Eleanor Roosevelt quote. And it's true. Just do in your heart what you believe to be right, even though you'll be criticized. But the four guiding principles that I have that I, we kind of talked about, I said I didn't want to jump ahead. These, this is what I was talking about earlier, is the first thing is most everything in life is built on relationships. And understanding that relationships are built on both trust and respect is paramount. So you need both of those things. You can't have trust and not respect. You can't have respect without trust. You have to have both. Both of them are equally important. And the stronger you have of trust and respect with a person, the stronger your relationship is going to be, both sides. The second one, and this is the thing we talked about earlier about the firefighters that that maybe are a little bit hypercritical of themselves, is let them know that we know when they go out every day that they work in emergency services. They're responding to highly stressful, rapidly evolving situations. Mistakes are going to happen. That's okay. It's okay to make a mistake. Don't criticize yourself too hard. Don't beat yourself down. However, there's three parts that you probably should be concerned about if you cause one of these three three things to happen that you may want to um, either get union representation, hire an attorney, or get someone to help counsel you. And that is one is if you kill somebody, if you injure somebody, or you end up costing the department a whole lot of money, even if it was a mistake, that could get you in a lot of trouble. So that's something to be worried about. But if you if you genuinely make a mistake, and if nobody dies, nobody gets injured, and it doesn't cost a lot of money, this is nothing more than something to learn from when we call it a teachable moment. Don't beat yourself up. The other one is in these priorities, this is what you need to understand. In the fire department, when you work here, the community comes first, the department comes second, and you come third. Not that we don't care about you. We care about you a lot. But without the community, we wouldn't need the fire department. And without the fire department, we wouldn't need you. So we come third. We have to take care of the community the department, and then ourselves. And I really tie that more to when you're encountered with a tough decision to make. If you keep those three things in mind and you use the, that order, more than likely the decision that you make will be right. Now, if you find yourself trying to say, well, I want to do this and I can justify it's good for the community because of this and it's good for the department, then you're probably treading in the wrong spot. But if you're making a decision, you can say, I'm making this decision, and this is why I believe it's best for the community. This is why I believe it's best for the department. And this is why I believe it's best for us. You'll probably be fine. And then the last guiding principle that I have is really my newest one that I've developed as, as a chief. And that's just to understand from an organizational perspective. It's the administrative job to take care of the operational staff. And it's the operational jobs to take care of the community. Ultimately, it's all of our job to take care of the community because they come first. But when you break down our tasks, administration shouldn't be out taking care of the citizens. Administration should be taking care of the emergency staff. The emergency staff should be taking care of the citizens. And if we get out of whack from that, then we need to take a balance. And the way I phrase it is as a fire chief, I need to spend most of my time working on the organization, not in the organization. And the further you go down to firefighter, then you work more in the organization and less on the organization. And I kind of say it's like a 90-10 split. As the chief, 90% of my job is working on the department and 10% is working in it. And by in it means major calls, multi-alarm fires, bad multi, you know, mass casualty incidents. I still go to that to help out with whatever needs to be done. 
firefighter paramedics, 90% of the time, they go to calls, take care of business, and maybe when they're back at the station, they could work on their area of responsibility and whatever we got. And that moves up 25, 75 for a lieutenant, 50, 50 for a shift commander, 75, 25 for an assistant chief or administrative officer and so on. And we talk a lot about that and that concept really has seemed to be able to provide good guiding insight to a lot of our staff. Two more to go. Rule number nine, and this is really simple. The right thing criticized is still the right thing. When you get criticized for doing the right thing, it's still the right thing to do. And it, that's just so simple. That's self-explanatory. I don't think I need to really go into great detail, but that that is, is a really easy one to understand. And then, I'm sorry, we have three more after this. It's 12, excuse me, I was thinking 10, I apologize. Uh, three more to go. Uh, number 10, haters are gonna hate. You will never be criticized by someone who is doing more than you. You will only be criticized by someone doing less. And that's something to understand. People that are gonna just sit there in the cheap seats and throw pot shots and not do anything, yeah, they're gonna criticize, but they're not getting it done, you are. How do you manage it? Kind of goes back to what we talked about before. You know, with, I mean, if they're sitting in the cheap seats, not doing anything and you're out there taking care of business, then you just have to look at it as the, the quote I said earlier, is if those people taking the cheap shots from you are not someone that you would go to for advice, why do you really care what they gotta say? You know, there's a reason why you're the officer and they're not. And there's a reason why you're in charge with the organization to make a difference and they're not. Now, again, if someone's offering, and we definitely need to make this distinction here, if it's constructive criticism, it's if it's quality feedback, if it's somebody that's truly trying to give you information that's gonna help make you, the department or the community better, then absolutely take that on. That's what we're about. But if they're just, they, if they have nothing, all they wanna do is identify problems and not bring any solutions to the table. As a chief, I have enough of my own problems to deal with and to address. I don't need somebody bringing me more. You know, that, I mean, that that answer what you're going for? That's exactly what I was asking for. And that's why I wanted that clarification or the just to reiterate the fact that they're in the cheap seats for a reason, throwing pot shots that, you know, they got to realize that you don't have time for that. Like you said, you're just going to keep doing on what you're doing, you know, uh, just keep plugging away. Your passion is what drives you, not those individuals out there. Don't they, they want you to get stalled. They want you to take a pause. They want you to invest your time into them rather than being able to invest your time into continuing to move it forward. So um, that's where I would say the haters are always going to hate. And you always talk about, you know, 80, 20 um, of what employees you're going to invest your time in that, that just write it off, you know, write it off, keep moving forward and and let them continue to be back there in the cheap seats, their own pot shots as you so as you will. <laughs> right. Which is a great segue into rule number 11, which is you're never going to make everyone happy. And Steve Job has a good quote. It says, if you want to make everyone happy, don't be a leader, sell ice cream. Couldn't it be? And that? I love that because that is exactly right. Because as a leader, you want everybody really to kind of like you. But but when you talk about trust and respect and how we build relationships, we build those because of there's times that we stuck our necks out there that maybe they didn't originally what they don't know, they don't know. And then six months goes by and then they're like, oh. You know, like, okay, so now we're here of what we've been just drugged through the mud about to get, but now you're actually seeing the benefits of all that hard work, dedication, commitment to actually get to what you were trying to change. And now they're realizing that. And then now they are 
kind of on the other end, but, uh, but you're right. You're as a leader, you're always sticking your neck out there and, and, uh, you're going to gain some haters along the way. And, and if you only want them to like you sell ice cream and that, that's just great. It is. And, and if you do try to make everybody happy, there's a lot of research that says the person who tries to make everybody happy ends up being the loneliness. And, you know, as a fire chief specifically, I'll speak to that as, you know, it is lonely at the top. You know, there's only one chief in the department. That's why I, I love the, you know, the Ohio Fire Chief Association so much is because I have those peers and those other people that that do, you know, what I do and that I can reach out to them and, and bounce ideas off of them. But if you don't have that and you are the loneliest person that can really eat on you and that can, you know, we talk a lot in this industry, you know, with with post-traumatic stress and by all means on the emergencies and the, the horrific stuff that that we see certainly affects it. But I know, you know, a lot of times we're affected you know, at the station and, 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 you know, when you move up as a chief, there's, this is a lot of the stuff that can affect your psyche. Kind of like we talked about reading the, the comments on social media, if they're negative, you know, a lot, a lot can, can, can mess you up in the head. And if you're spending a lot of time trying to make everyone happy in the end, you're not going to make anybody happy because you can only make people happy if, if you're happy. That's, that's been my experience, at least anyway. Well, we all know that people pick up on that, right? If you're saying one thing out of the mouth, you know, in this room to another in another room, then uh, we, we all know that you can't make everybody happy. And then that's where that trust and respect of that, what you're really trying to build really kind of goes away because individuals begin to lose trust in you and begin to use, uh, lose the respect that they have for you for being an actual leader and sticking with what you have. Yeah, which is, again, another great tie into rule 12 is, you know, approach others from a place of trust. And this is something that was very hard for me to learn. And I, you heard me talk earlier about relationships or building trust and respect, but kind of going back to my law enforcement career, plus just a little bit of my own DNA and the way I, I was raised is, you know, and as a cop, everyone's a lying dirtbag scumball until proven otherwise. And that just sort of was how I kind of approached relationships a lot of times, even not as a cop. And then I learned that, you know what, if if you approach for other people from a place of trust, then you start building those good relationships. And uh, the first slide I have up here is a quote by Abraham Lincoln, and it says, the people, when rightly and fully trusted, will return the trust. So it's kind of like, yeah, and who who goes first? Like, if you're going to build a relationship that's built on trust and respect, who's going to start trusting the other person first? And I really think you as the leader in the organization, as a fire officer, a shift commander, chief officer, you know, at some point you have to extend that olive branch, which is the next quote I have on here, which says the best way to find out if you can trust someone is to trust them. It's really that simple. Mm -hmm. Just start trusting people. Now, the reason people struggle with this is because they know if they trust everybody, eventually they're going to get burned and it's going to happen. But to me, I would rather make nine really good friends and have nine strong relationships and get burnt once out of 10 interactions than have 10 interactions and have five people think I'm a jerk and the other five like, ah, maybe he's not a jerk, you know? And that Learning that what I said earlier is, is and that really started helping me building relationships is when I started actually approaching other people from a point of, you know what, I'm going to trust you until proven otherwise. But leads me to the last part of this rule, which is a Ronald Reagan quote, which is trust, but verify. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to come from a place of trust, but I'm still going to watch you and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you don't screw me. So. <laughs> 
it's it's complicated, but that's kind of the the down and dirty part of of rule number twelve. Steve Eggenbrode is an experienced emergency service executive with a demonstrated history of working in the public safety industry. He commands and all Hazards Emergency Services Organization and also works as a full-time professor for the Columbia Southern University. He has practice experienced in areas of fire, rescue services, emergency medical services, law enforcement, and investigations with a primary focus in operations, management, and administration with a strong passion for leadership. Chief Eggenbrode serves as the president of the Warren County Fire Chiefs Association, president of the Southwestern Ohio Fire Chiefs Association, and chairs the legislative committee for the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association. Personally, Steve enjoys living an active lifestyle and by exercising and being outdoors. He loves to golf, but is terrible at it. He and his amazing wife reside in Springboro with their two daughters and three dogs. He is also an active member of the Rotary Club of Springboro. That concludes part number three of, of the presentation, The Sturdy Dozen, which was the 12 rules of managing criticism. And now we're going to move on to part number four, which is constructive criticism. Right. So, you know, a lot of times we talk about criticism and people hear the word criticism and it has a, a negative connotation to it. But constructive criticism can be one of the best things in the world for you. And I lead off with a slide when talking about constructive criticism, that is a quote from Matthew McConaughey that says, if someone corrects you and you feel offended, then you have an ego problem. And I look back and, and I self-reflect on this, and this was me when I look back and think early in my career when I really struggled with criticism, it was because of this. It was because I had an ego problem. I thought I was a lot better than I was. I thought I was a lot smarter than I was. And when someone would correct me or try to provide me with, with feedback, I would get offended. Fortunately, maybe it took me longer than I had hoped to learn that I had an ego problem, but fortunately I did. And that all kind of came around the time when I learned that I uh, needed to just decide to be happy. And when you decide not to have a large ego and approach people from a place of trust and make yourself vulnerable, it really is amazing how your life will change, not just as a as a fire officer, but as a person. And that just helped me immensely. And then the second slide that I have up here for constructive criticism is you must always be willing to truly consider evidence that contradicts your beliefs and admit the possibility that you may be wrong. Intelligence isn't knowing everything. It's the ability to challenge everything, you know, again, something I really struggled with. When someone challenged me, I wanted to just argue and debate and win. And I wanted to prove they were wrong and I was right. That's how I attacked criticism when people came at me. Can make excuses, can try to do whatever. I've tried to kind of self um, psychoanalyze, if you will. And growing up, I was a hyper competitive person, competed in a lot of sports, a lot of football, wrestling, martial arts, baseball. My mom even tells the story of when I was three and four years old, I would cheat at Candyland to win. So I just kind of had a very hyper competitive DNA in me. And so as I started navigating my professional career early on, I, I maintained that. And when someone would come and challenge me in what I said, I would immediately look at that as a competition and 
I would think to myself, who the hell are you to tell me I'm the lieutenant and you're not or some form of that. But really, it was I'm the jerk and you're the nice person trying to help the jerk. Fortunately, I had a lot of good mentors and I had a lot of people come and, and talk to me in, in a number of ways. And uh, ultimately, I mean, I, I was a work in progress for years and then I ended up having a child with autism and an amazing wife who was able to model how you behave uh, and treat people with autism. That really finally was the major change in my life. And when I learned that if someone comes and challenges something, you know, that's an opportunity to either a learn yourself because you could be wrong or be an opportunity to educate someone on why you feel what it is that you know, and then they could actually come and see it your way. And now they're smarter because of you. And instead of getting offended, it's a lot better to build that trust and respect uh, of a relationship, whether at the end of that confrontation, and uh, confrontation isn't the right word, at the, at the end of that interaction, uh, maybe you're wrong, maybe they are, or maybe you can just agree to disagree, but ultimately, that relationship is going to be stronger because you actually handled yourself, handled yourself and handled your business as a professional and not a jerk. Yeah. Cause it's about the way that the message was delivered. And if they were willing to take the time to provide you some constructive criticism, they seen something in you that they wanted to, that they wanted to change. They knew you had it in there. It's just going to take a little bit of time to, you know, open themselves up to come to you to explain it. And that's why I've always looked at it for myself of all the people that have taken their time out of their day, because as we talked about how time is so important, but they really took in their time out of their day to, you know, correct me or to say, Hey, why, you know, or at least kind of get the thought process of it, but it wasn't, it wasn't a negative interaction. It wasn't a yelling match. It wasn't, it was a, the delivery of the message was respectable to me as which is exactly the same way that I say of when we are trying to coach our own employees is that there's no reason to yell. That just shows, you know, that you can't handle stressful situations and that you handle things under emotion, rather than just to go handle those situations with a, a very uh, respectable, manner a professional manner is what you talked about a lot and deliver that message because then if they can understand that you're trying to invest your little bit of very valuable time into them that at some point they're going to recognize that fact and begin to make the change and like you said it may have taken a little bit longer but you're so thankful now that those individuals continue to be there and and didn't 100 give up on you and say oh He's, he's the one that we, we're, we're not going to be able to change. And he's, he's down that road, the, the entire opposite way that, you know, you become that 20% where you kind of just get rode off at that point. That's where firefighters and other um, officers of that nature really need to find that balance on themselves. At what point do they really want to, you know, get on the train and start going the other way. And the only way that they can do that is if they change of what they're doing now. So um, if the, if you are feeling that way, it may be that time to really dive deep down of, you know, what your life is in the firehouse and, and what maybe changes you could look at doing. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said a hundred percent. And I'd like to add two things to it is, is one, especially when you are that fire officer or that chief and it's someone who's a subordinate that's coming to you to offer constructive criticism, uh, truly understand uh, how courageous that is. That's not easy to do. You know, I mean, if someone is, and you hate to say below you in the chain of command, but they're, you know, they are under you in the chain of command and they take the time and, and effort and have the courage to approach you with nothing but the intent to help, man, embrace that. Don't, don't shoot that down. You know, I mean, and even if you don't agree with them, you know, be empathetic and understand that that took a lot of courage 
you know, to come in. Now, again, they need to be respectful and they need to be in a constructive manner. But yeah, I mean, at least, at least show your appreciation because even if this time what they had to say really maybe to you wasn't such a huge deal, maybe next time it is. And if you don't approach it from, you know, a positive angle, the next time when it is important, they may not come to you. So it's very important to understand that. And then the other thing ultimately is you might be wrong. Believe it or not, even if you're a fire chief, you can be wrong. And when someone comes to you with evidence and, and an opinion and they're like, look, you're, you're headed down the wrong path, that could be true. And they could be saving your butt. And you should be appreciative of, of both of those motives for that, sure. Yeah, that's very true. I like to think that if we can get an employee that is maybe lower in the organizational chart to come to us and provide some cr constructive criticism, I like to think that, you know, as a chief um, and our leadership and our culture in our organization is one that allows transparency and one that allows somebody to feel that they, they can. And it's an environment that people are, all we all are trying to learn and, and and be better and embrace that all the time, and so I like to think that we encourage a, a, an environment where people feel comfortable enough to come up to somebody and, as, and, like you said, as long as you're delivering that message in a constructive manner, that they had the courage to be able to come to you and actually explain that you know whatever whatever the the case may be, but they had the courage to knock on the door and say, "Hey, chief," and you know that that does take a lot because you know no matter which way. Uh, but it has to be an environment it has to be what, what type of individual you are as a chief and, and, and how you interact with your personnel on a regular basis for them to even feel comfortable enough about it, because you would much rather, at least for me, I should say, I would much rather them come to me to try to make those changes than to tell 10 people, because that's the domino effect of what would happen of, you know, if they go around and tell 10 people that this happened, whereas if that did happen, they come to you and you respond in a way that, you know, you can you make positive change on it, then they may tell 10 people, but they're also going to tell them your reaction, you know, and, and, and how that how that interaction went. And and because those employees are the ones with the good intentions, you know, they really are. Yeah, I, I feel so strongly and passionate about that and and just to give you an example when i first became fire chief uh, one of the things that we did was we sat down and, and reassessed our mission vision and core values and one of the core values that that i personally added to the organization was speaking truth to power and i feel so passionate about that because for years a lot of the struggles our organization had was because you couldn't do that so I wanted to find a way to open that chain of communication. So we had challenge coins made in the organization and it has our logo on one side and the, the core values on the other that one of those is speak truth to power. I met with every employee individually and, and gave them their challenge coin and told them this new speak truth to power core value is very important. And it's so important that we've made it a core value of the organization because you speaking truth to your supervisors is so important that we made it a core value. Not only is it allowed, it's expected. And if there's something going on that's not meeting your standard as an employee here, and your officer isn't leading you, or the fire chief isn't leading the department, then you're to take this coin and you're to go and you're to sit down and have a meeting with them. And you're to put that coin on the desk and you're to say, I'm here to speak truth to power. And everything you have in that conversation is off the record. And you're allowed to say whatever it is that you wanna say, the only rule is it's got to be said respectfully. That's it. And we've in the organization, you know, we've had a few people do that. But 
we don't have it a lot. I think one because of the culture, but I think the other is because that coin is there and that core value is there is people have naturally just started speaking truth to power because it's the culture of the organization now. And people aren't afraid to tell their lieutenant if they're if they're headed down a bad path and lieutenants aren't afraid to tell captains, hey, this is this doesn't work. Uh, but they do it in a respectful manner. And we head off so many problems in the beginning because and we didn't make it a core value and just put it on a poster on the wall and let it go. We still we preach it every chance we get. I preach it every chance I get and talk about why that's so important. So the the next lesson when dealing with constructive criticism, and this kind of goes back to what we're talking about with the ego and and not thinking that, you know, you could possibly be wrong if someone's bringing you uh, something. But it's it's a thing I read in Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People book. And it's most people don't listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. And this goes back to I want to argue with you and tell you why you're wrong and I'm right. And I'm not listening to what it is you're trying to tell me. I'm listening and trying to find holes in what it is you're trying to say so that I can prove you wrong. And this is it's still something I struggle with today. I've gotten much better at it through the years. But this is another one of those things when I truly started listening to what people were saying to me and try to listen to what it is that they meant and understand where they were coming from before I tried to explain where I was coming from. It was amazing at how much easier it was to build strong relationships, because when people, even if you disagree with them, but they believe that you understand them and you know where they're coming from, they respect that. And they they trust you because you care about them enough to listen what they have to say. And then if you don't agree and you're not going to go that way, you respectfully explain, hey, I appreciate what you said. That's not the direction that we're going to head in the, with the organization right now. However, we're going to go this way. And in a year from now, if I'm if I'm wrong, you can come and you can say, ha ha, you were wrong. Let's try it this way. And then we'll try it that way. But give me a year to try it this way first. And then they'll jump right into it again. It's And it's about building relationships. So, you know, you need to listen to what people are saying to you and truly understand them. Well, it's something definitely I had to work on. And still, like you said, I, I work on this all the time because there is a lot of times where you're in those conversations and you're so tuned into, you know, saying something back rather than, you know, actively being that active listener. And, and I recognize that uh, just about. I would say right after I became chief, you know, was, uh, was more and then, but it's not something that I've been able to just to master. I, it's still to this day, I have to remind myself that I need to take the time, digest it, be an active listener and, and be in, in, in that conversation. So, um, I'm sure many of us are in that same boat. For sure. So the next point is when talking about constructive criticism is, Surround yourself with your own personal board of directors. You know, get a group of people that you know that you can call at any time. And maybe it's a one-on-one. -on -one, maybe it's a group of people you get together and have lunch and bounce ideas off of. But you know, good leadership requires you to surround yourself with people of diverse perspectives who can disagree with you without fear of retaliation. And that's part of your own personal board of directions. And that's Doris Kearns Goodwin's quote. It's so true. So if you have someone that brings you an idea that you think, oh, I don't really like that, I'm not sure, maybe you should give it a second chance and run it by your personal board of directors and see what they think. Maybe they're like, no, this person's on to something. You should really listen to it. Or if it's someone that can truly speak honestly with you, they're like, nah, that's not a very good idea. You're right. I wouldn't try that. It, and as a fire chief, that's so important. 
because a lot of times you can't bounce ideas off of anyone else in your department. You know, you have to have uh, that that group of confidants that you can do that with. And I know that I'm I'm lucky to have that. So uh, they, they help me regularly. And then the last thing to cover um, when it comes to to constructive criticism is just accept your mistakes and learn from them. Understand that good judgment comes from experience and experience. Well, that comes from poor judgment. You know, we may we learn how to make good decisions by making bad ones. Just hopefully nobody gets killed, nobody gets seriously hurt, and we don't end up costing the department a lot of money. Uh, if that then it's a teachable moment and we'll learn. But you know, the next slide I have on here is that a mistake that makes you humble is better than an achievement that makes you arrogant. And we talked a little bit earlier about the importance of humility. And you know, humble pie, man, there's nothing in this world that tastes worse. It God, it tastes so bad. But man, there's nothing that's better for you. You know, when your your ego's getting too big or you're getting out of check or you're thinking you can't do no wrong, and that person that's your confidant comes and crams a piece of humble pie down your throat and then they're like, hey, here, have another. Yeah. Or you really screw up and you have to eat that humble pie right in front of your boss or in front of your crew or in front of your boss and your crew or whatever. God, it tastes bad. But man, the only thing worse is disregarding it and acting like you didn't do it and not owning it. Because your crew, your department, your staff, your boss, they'll see right through it. If you screw up, own it, learn from it, say you're sorry if you need to, and then just move on. That's really it. The only thing that I would like to finish on is we talked a little bit about the Teddy Roosevelt quote at the very beginning. And uh, and that is the last thing. And it's just it's an excerpt from his speech, The Man in the Arena. And it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood and strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again. But because there is no effect without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Thank you, Chief. This has just been an absolutely amazing podcast, and I, I'm sure that uh, how I feel on the other side of this mic talking to you, uh, I feel like I just learned so much from you today, and and I'm sure that uh, many of the audience members will 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 say the same thing that uh, there was a time well spent, a lot of information here, but uh, but not only just uh, you know fire officers, fire chiefs, firefighters, or the fire service in general uh, could learn from all this that you've put together, but for any organization. It doesn't matter if it's a, a police department, city administration, uh, factory, um, sales. It does not matter what type of organization. We all have the leaders within those organizations and employees that are doing the same. So uh, couldn't thank you enough for all this great content and uh, being able to spend this little bit of time with us. So look forward to talking to you soon. And thanks again. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the Triple P Podcast, premier, professional, and proactive, brought to you by the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you feel so inclined, 
please help us spread the word by telling your fire and EMS friends about this channel. Chief O'Brien has been serving the fire and EMS community since 2005 with the support from his wife, Bobby, son, Ashton, and daughter, Aislinn. Chief O'Brien began as a volunteer and worked his way up to the rank of fire chief in 2015. He began his full-time career with the city of Faustoria in 2008 and moved to the city of Napoleon in 2009, where he has been a fire chief since 2015. Chief O'Brien is a progressive servant leader. He is committed to improving the fire service through developing young men and women into becoming leaders in the fire service. You will often hear Chief O'Brien ask his staff and others he encounters in the profession, what are you doing today to make the fire service better than it was yesterday? He's extremely passionate about training in all disciplines and is enormously proud of bringing a state-of-the-art training facility to the city of Napoleon. Chief O'Brien holds an associate's degree in fire science and a bachelor's degree in business administration. He is a nationally registered paramedic, firefighter two, fire inspector, hazmat technician, and fire EMS, ACLS, and PALS, as well as a CPR instructor. Chief O'Brien is an active member with the Henry County Fire Chiefs, Northwest Ohio Chiefs, the Ohio Fire Chiefs, and the International Association of Fire Chiefs. He participates weekly with the Napoleon Rotary Club, sits on the Substance Misuse and Community Partnerships Committees, and is on the executive board for the LEPC. Joel Fry is the Assistant Fire Chief for Napoleon Fire and Rescue in the city of Napoleon, Ohio. He has been in the fire service for 13 years. Joel has obtained an associate's degree in fire science and a bachelor's degree in fire administration. Joel is a nationally certified paramedic, firefighter two, fire instructor, EMSCE instructor, CPR instructor, hazmat technician, and fire safety inspector. Joel heads up the prevention, public education division, and works to create strong relationships throughout the community in which he serves. Joel has a wonderful wife, Katie, and four young boys at home. He is a member of the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association, the OFCA Education Committee, Northwest Ohio Fire Chiefs Association, the Northwest Ohio Fire Prevention Association, the Henry County Fire Chiefs Association, and the treasurer of the Henry County Firemen's Association Training Commission.